Well, good morning. Would you stand with us as we worship together? Creation, I gotta be 
is this morning. Jesus Christ, who is red. 
Oh 
name it is God we love you so much Lord and I just thank you so much for all that you do for us I just pray that as we worship together as we continue by reading your word God and ending with worship that you would just be at the forefront of our minds God may you open our hearts and minds to hear what you have for us today and allow us to walk away with something new in your son's name we pray amen good morning how are you Oh, subdued in here today. You guys like this spring weather? It's nuts, isn't it? It's going to be beautiful tonight, though, when it snows. So I'm, I'm Tony. I'm the pastor here, Tony Slavin. I've met some of you that are visiting. It's wonderful to have you. I'd just like to let you know, um, if you have any questions about the church, I'll be out in the lobby or outside. Um, love to answer your questions if you have any questions about the church, but we're thrilled that you came to join us today. Four announcements, and then we're going to get into the word. First announcement is worship night next Sunday night. So the second, have our normal Sunday morning services, 9, 30, 11. Then we're going to have an extended worship night at 7 o'clock next Sunday night. So come, bring your friends. We're going to have a blast. The team has been putting on, putting, not putting on, not putting up with, been practicing. That's the word I was looking for. They've been putting a lot of work into it. So next Sunday night, 2 o'clock. The second at 7 o'clock. Oh, brother. Then, July 17th is the concert, I Am They. Now, Daryl is gone today. He's out recreating. Actually, I'm not even sure what Daryl's doing today. But he's off and taking a break, I hope. When he comes back, he'll have a date for us when we start buying tickets for I Am They. So keep that on your calendar, I Am They. Also, we have coming up, and that is on May 23rd. It's called the Bye Bye Barbecue. Well, we're going to say goodbye to Deborah and Mario Ornelas um, because that will be the last week of their ministry employment in this town. Deborah works here, Mario works for Young Life, and they are moving on to the next chapter of their life where they're going to be heading back to Texas in the summertime. But we're going to have a celebration to say goodbye to them. So put that on your calendars. March, I am not with it today. May, whatever that says, May 23rd, in the afternoon after church. So that's going to be fun. Last, there's a flyer on your seat. And we have four ladies in our church that are going to come up. And, well, is it just Dell and Heike? Oh, there's Wendy. Eunice isn't here today or right now, maybe later. These ladies have been working very hard to organize something that many of you have already been doing, and that's just loving people in this church and this community. Now, these ladies have put into an organization, and it's in that flyer called Love in Action, a ministry where you can join them to serve the people of this church and community. So, Del, explain to us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cornerstone, first of all. And um, it's a gorgeous day today, so we're going to celebrate that. Um, I'm Del Elias, this is Heike Powell and Wendy Sushan, 
And Eunice Marion is also a part of our um, planning group. And Brianna Sheck, we want to give a big thank you to her because she always, for everything in our church, designs flyers and slides and all that. We could not do this without her. So thank you, Brianna. Yeah. Um, first of all, we are representing uh, women's ministries today here at Cornerstone. And we are excited to launch a brand new ministry um, that will be a great addition to our church. Love in Action is a ministry of serving, caring, and showing the love of Jesus to those who need it. We have based this ministry on Galatians 5.13, serve one another with love. Now we hope to organize what we do so that no one is left out. Love in Action will try to meet needs that come to our attention from our church family in several different ways. And they may include um, things like prayer, encouragement, cards, emails, flowers, meals, meditation, and just helping with errands. Now obviously we cannot do everything for everyone, but our hearts hope to pitch in and help when we can. It is most important that our church family knows that they are loved and cared for. We have an amazing church family, and this is not to take away from anything that you all are already doing for others. It is to add to what people need. The women's ministry is thrilled about the huge potential this ministry has for both our church and eventually our community as we get more and more volunteers, we hope. Um, we hope to show Jesus' love in a very real and tangible way. Now for this program to succeed, we need each of you to pray. And then also consider that you might be interested in serving. Please tear off the back half of the flyer at your seat and check out one or more, or maybe even all, um, of the listed areas where you could serve. When needs arise, we will email everyone if meals are requested, for example. Now keep in mind that by being a part of this, you are not committed to pitch in every single time, just whenever you can. Eventually, we want to um, do this with the men's ministry here, but we're just starting it off here. So even if you guys want to volunteer for something at this point, please feel free to fill out the form as well. It's not really just for women because we want to serve needs of, for example, taking meals to men who might need them too. Um, leave the form at your seat if you fill it out today and we will pick them up after the service. Or you can give it after the service to any one of us. You can also contact me. My email is inside the flyer um, if you are watching our live stream at home today. Um, all help will be appreciated, and I know that you will bless many as you volunteer to serve. Thank you very much for your willingness to put love in action and for your prayers. Cool. That's Let's pray for that, and then, and then Ron's going to come up and join us in a minute. We're going to do a question and answer time. So, Father, thank you for the very, very committed ladies of our church. They're committed to your heart, to your honor and glory, and to serving the people of this church, Lord. So thank you for Dell and the whole crew. And, and just ask that you bless this ministry mightily. And many of us will sign up to say, hey, count on me 
to love others. So thank you, Father. And, and we truly love you. And we, and we hope today that you've been honored so far by this worship. So continue to guide our service. In Christ's name, we thank you and we love you. Amen. So come on up, Ron. If you remember last week, I said that we were going to take a break from Romans for a few weeks. And we're going to do a question and answer time. So many of you wrote in questions this week. So Ron and I have divided them up. And we are going to do our best to answer them. Now, the, what our real passion is, let's, yeah, let's move that out of the way. If some of these questions um, are not easy, that's why you ask them. And, and there's different perspectives on them. Our desire is to take you to the Word and give you our understanding, but also to drive you to the Word, to see where you, you realize, and I always say this, and so, so I say it again today, that God has given you a mind, He's given you the Bible, He's given you the Holy Spirit, and He's given you the people of God. So please open your Bibles and pursue the answers to these questions that we're answering today as we understand them. Does that make sense? Cool. So as we get started, I'm going to do the first one. And we had two questions on this, and it's the question of, can I lose my salvation? We had two different aspects of it, so I put them into one. And, and it's kind of this, we're jumping in the deep end on this one. And by the way, the rest of the day, we're staying in the deep end. None of these are easy. So can I lose my salvation? And so let me give it to you this way. Remember my coin illustration? Where's my coin? I want to read you a verse that supports the fact that I believe, and this church teaches, that once a God redeems you, changes your heart, fills you with the Spirit of God, writes your name in the book of life, adopts you as his child, he'll never let you go. Okay, so I want to read one, a verse to support that, and I would call that the head side of this coin, God's side of the coin. Remember my coin illustration, everybody? You getting tired of it? Good, good, because I'm going to keep using it. So here's Jesus' words in John 6, 35 to 40. Listen carefully to his certainty about those who belong to him. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So he's talking to the religious leaders of Israel. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So just look at the, look at the, the emphatic, all the Father gives to me will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him, not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, so look at the flow here. From all the Father gives to me will come, I won't lose any, so they, I can't walk away. I won't cast any out. I'll raise them all up, on the, all up on the last day. So all that come in are raised to new life at the resurrection. He loses none and none walk away. So from God's perspective, he knows who belongs to him. And so when you come in, he keeps you. And it's not like he says, oh, you know what? I'm sick and tired of your sin. You're out. Not from God's side of the coin. But as you know, there's another perspective on this, this idea. And let me read to you some of the verses that would suggest otherwise. 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's the implication here of if, and a false belief, believing in vain. This is now the tail side of the coin. So keep, stay with me on the illustration. Listen to Galatians 5.14. The Galatians had walked away from grace and went back to works. Paul says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. A couple more. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That there's talk in Scripture in the last times of a great apostasy, people leaving the faith. So, so were they Christians and walked away and became unsaved? Or they appear to be Christians and left. So keep that in mind. Let's just stop there. So let, let me, I'll have one more verse and I'll explain it in a minute. So here's my summary of how I do this. And I realize this is a, a very short answer to a very long question. I believe that those whom God has called to be his own, he saves and he keeps. And he'll never turn his back on anybody he has saved. And, and I think that is um, unbelievably comforting. Here's my question to you, individually. How do you know you're one of them? There's talk here of walking away from the faith. So I would suggest to you that that is describing our experience, the tail side of the coin. And I truly believe some people can think they've come to the faith, but have not. So how do you know you're one of the ones that God gave to Jesus? And there's this phrase that comes out of the Reformation. It's called the perseverance of the saints. You've heard the phrase, once saved, always saved? I don't particularly use that phrase because it implies something the scriptures don't explicitly say. It suggests, oh, I said a prayer at one point, now I'm in forever. The scriptures teach, are you keeping the faith? On Paul's deathbed, 2 Timothy chapter 4, what does he say? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So how do you know that you're one of the elect that God has chosen? Because you're keeping the faith. Those who belong to God, he knows whose are his and he keeps them. And how you know you belong to him? It's because you're keeping the faith today. It's not about works. It's not about earning something. It's about having an awareness in me that I belong to him and I'm pursuing him. Does that make sense? So this is the way I, I put these two together. I, I recommended a book some time ago, one by R.C. Sproul and one by um, Roger Olson. They give you different perspectives on this. Look, you look at my notes and you read those things. Let me read one last to you, another question. The question was, please explain Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 as it relates to losing salvation. So listen to this, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fall away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For me, this is the hardest passage on the security of my salvation. 
it says something here that no position likes. Because if you come from my perspective, if God, if God saves you, he keeps you. You can't lose it. That's, that's sometimes called Calvinism. I don't like to associate too closely with these words because they come with a lot of trappings. The other side is Arminianism, that you can fall away from the faith and be damned and then get saved again. Be damned, get saved again. You follow me? This passage says, no, you cannot. If you fall away, it's impossible to be renewed to repentance again. So no position likes this verse. And we all tend to say, uh, let's just leave that one out. Well, it's in the scriptures. This is where I'm imploring you to do the hard work of Bible study. You pray, you talk to people, you search it out. I'm still working on how this fits into my understanding. But here's what it does teach me. Don't get cocky. We are saved by God's grace. Let's come to this humbly, which is what Hebrews is telling us. Humbly come before God, because he is the source of everything. So with that, um, I could say a lot more. We could teach for weeks on this. But Ron's going to come up and um, do the next one. So Ron. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do it from here if it's all right. And the question is, how do we recognize good teachers from bad? And in this age where you've got the Internet and we probably have all watched more sermons on YouTube, this is a great question. And it's really pretty easy and simple. I'm good. He's. No, it's, uh, you know, it, it really is, it's an important question because we listen to a lot of, of preachers and are they, are they actually preaching? So we have to think about this. And so we, the, where we need to start is the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul is talking to Timothy because Paul is now going to preach and take over this church in Ephesus. And so he said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's what preaching is. It includes everything. It includes the whole counsel of God. And if, if you think about the history of, of our country, it's gone from hell front, fire and brimstone in the 40s and 50s, and that's what Christianity was noted for. It was instilling fear of hell so you would accept Christ. But today that's changed dramatically. That's not the normal preaching. You have good preachers, and, and then the, 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 I would say the majority of people out there that are, that are preaching are preaching the love of God, and only the love of God. They don't preach the righteousness. They don't preach the justice of God. They don't preach sin, because that's hard to talk about. And so we've, our country has flipped around from condemnation to complete freedom like, the, like that, that Jesus dying on the cross really wasn't for our sins and God really doesn't care about our sins. So that's what we're looking for. And so what is a preacher supposed to do? He's supposed to take the author's intent in this word 
and the author is God, and try to expound it and expand it and apply it to your life. All of it. That's, that's why I personally like expository preaching and you go from book to book to book because we all have um, inclinations to kind of ignore certain things. There's some hard verses that we don't like to talk about or we haven't figured out. And so we tend to ignore those. If, well, if you're going through a book of the Bible, like Tony's going through Romans, you can't skip stuff. You're, you're still not going to get everything, but at least you're trying to address the whole character and all the attributes of God, because that's what we really want to know. We, what is God really like? And can we learn more about God uh, on a Sunday morning? So it's a, a good preacher brings the knowledge of God and his plan for us, the dependence on God, that we, we want to become more like Christ. We increase our confidence and love for God, and it's the full counsel of God. And so you have that, and then what I would call just motivational speakers. And it's not that they're wrong, but I would much rather that they would speak from a civic auditorium than a pulpit. Because they just, they motivate you. I mean, Tony Robbins, he's not a pastor, but he's a motivational speaker. He encourages you. You know, you, you can listen to Tony Robbins, and, and you don't feel like he's, he's, he's trying to represent Christ. He just says, this is, I, I just want you to have a good life. And that's great. Well, I, in my mind, Joel Alstein is one of those guys. He, he's a great motivational speaker. But he doesn't talk about anything but the love of God, which is wonderful. But if you're going to preach, preach it all. So, again... Is it bad to listen to someone like Joel Olstein? No. But understand that what he's there to do is to encourage you. And accept that for that. That's, that's, that's uh, uh, motivation that's, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to grow you in your own, I guess, self-image, which <laughs> our, our self-image is dependent on God and what he thinks of us. And when we start going, we have to make myself think better of myself apart from God, it doesn't work. So you make the decision. I'm not going to condemn him, but when you're looking for a preacher, look for someone that's going to give the whole counsel. And there's actually three warnings I want to quickly go through. First, there's a warning to the followers in Hebrews 5.12. It says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. So there's a danger of listening to the word of God and listening to the word of God and not doing anything and applying it to your life. Because as the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you can't stay there. Grow. Grow. The second is a warning to pastors. And it says, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, this is again, uh, uh, speaking of a, a pastor leaving, Paul leaving, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things and draw away the disciples 
after them. That is the biggest fear of any pastor, that they just don't shepherd the flock and all of a sudden you've got disunity and you've got people that are hurting and walking away from God. And the last warning is to all of us. The time will come when they, and that was out of 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their own ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. That we simply have to ask ourselves when we listen to someone, did I learn something about God? Or is this all about what I need to do, how I should think about myself? And that will be the difference between a motivational speaker and a true preacher of the gospel. So Ron, it made me think of a verse. Um, at the end of Matthew, around 1920, Matthew 7, 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there, Jesus says, some will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do miracles? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And I know, I think Ron shares this with me, that a, a big concern we have, will someone who sits under our ministry hear those words? Because we didn't teach it well. People who truly believe they were doing God's work, and he says, I don't even know who you are. And I truly hope that doesn't ever happen for someone that we're ministering to. Um, and to what degree is it our fault for not teaching you well? I can't sit down and talk. I've got to stand up and talk. <laughs> so someone wrote this question. Are there modern-day apostles and prophets as indicated in Ephesians 4.11? If not, why? So let me read to you Ephesians 4.11 to 14, the context. It's actually, we could get much bigger, but for time's sake. Paul is talking about how Christ gave gifts to his church. And he gave some as apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists shepherds and teachers. Most translations say pastors and teachers. Shepherds is the better translation. I think that's the Greek word. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So these five gifted people are being singled out to equip the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'm bringing my New American Standard memory into here, so if you're reading the ESV up there, I apologize. So that we no longer, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So that's the question. From this passage, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, are there still apostles and prophets here today? And before I give you my quick thoughts, I want you to realize this is the third time apostles and prophets have been mentioned in Ephesians. Been, the first time they're mentioned in chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul's talking about the development and the birth of the church that Christ saved Jews and Gentiles and made them into one new person called the body of Christ, the church. And he says this church, in chapter 2, 20, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the ministry of the apostles and prophets that Paul's talking about that eventually equips the saints, the apostles and prophets, were the foundational um, aspect of that ministry. Chapter 3, 5 says why they were the foundational gifts of the ministry. It says this, 
so the church, or the, or the gospel, this idea of the church was not, excuse me, lost it, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. So no one knew about Jews and Gentiles being the church in previous generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So the apostles and prophets were revelatory gifts in Ephesians. The, the gifts Paul is talking about, the function of the apostles and prophets are revelatory gifts. So now the question is, are there apostles and prophets today? Once again, just like the two questions you've already answered, we could get a lot, take a lot of time. My personal position is there apostles were the 12 plus Paul and, and no more. Barnabas is implied to be an apostle. It says apostles Barnabas and Paul. So Paul includes Barnabas there. James, brothers, the, Lord of the, bro the brother of the Lord, is associated with the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15. It says James and the rest of the apostles. But, but outside of that, the word apostle is used hundreds of times to refer to the 12 almost exclusively. At the end of Revelation, it says in the New Jerusalem, there are 12 foundation stones for the 12 apostles. So this 12 is very important. Um, you get to the early modern church, and, and they're looking back on the teachings of the apostles. They're not looking for modern-day apostles. They look back to the previous generations, to the apostles. So the the church didn't accept the ongoing gift of apostle. The apostles were used to establish the doctrine of the church, and I believe that was their contribution to the whole history of the church that we now stand upon. Prophets are a different thing. Prophets, the early church did have prophets. For, for a couple hundred years, prophets are talked about. So I, I can't suggest the church said they were gone. Um, here, here's my question today. In the new modern movement where apostles and prophets are alive and well again in many circles, I ask, why should I accept that they're back? I'm not a cessationist, okay? Listen to me carefully. I'm not a cessationist. Cessationist is someone who says, all the miraculous gifts stopped and are no longer here. I'm not that. But if you've talked to me about this, you know that I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. And sometimes my skepticism gets the worst part of me. Um, I've just seen some abuse. In modern day prophets, many of them, I mean many of them, and these apostles, they all prophesy in the name of God, Donald Trump would win the election. And he did not. To me, that's false prophecy. You look at the claim in the name of God, say something's going to happen as big as that and be wrong and continue to claim to be a prophet. So here's my concern. I don't have the wisdom to know who is and who isn't a, a true prophet outside of this. My concern is where does authority lie? Does it lie in the scriptures written by the apostles and prophets of the old? Or does it lie in an individual today calling himself an apostle and prophet? And I would say to you, make sure you come back to here to analyze what they're saying. I'm not going to say everyone calling themselves a prophet is not. I don't know. I want to believe in it. I really do. Sometimes when I see the abuse and then the abuse is pushed under the rug, is no big deal. Then I go, ah, I can't handle this. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about false apostles in his day. He said that there was... False apostles, have come, false apostles have come to you, Corinthians. He says, for such men are false apostles, 
deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So we have to entertain the idea that some people are liars. Paul says in the next chapter, the sign of a true apostle, as he's defending his apostleship to the Corinthians, he says the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So if someone comes today and says they're an apostle, I want to see the signs and wonders. But then again, people in Matthew 7, we did miracles, we cast out demons, we prophesied. And Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. Where is the standard? It's right here. This is what we must always go back to, to analyze anyone claiming to speak for God, whether it's an apostle or prophet today, whether it's Ron or me. By the way, I speak the truth. Ron <laughs> definitely speaks the truth. So, um, so whatever your position, make sure Scripture is your authority, not some individual. Ron, go ahead. Well, this question is kind of related to what Tony was talking about, and what are ways we hear from God, and how do you know what you are doing is what God wants you to do? Another really good question, and number one, the, the, the second part of that question, how do you know what you're doing is from God? I would rather you do something that you think is from God, even if it's wrong, than not do anything. You know, sometimes we wait, and it's, it's really... Uh, it's our cowardice or ah, better not, our fear of being condemned that we don't do it. I'd rather make a mistake. Say, all right, all right, God, help me hear you better. But the more you're listening to the first half of this question, the easier it is to discern the second part of what you should do. How do we hear from God? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you've heard it, and we talk about this verse so much. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the mouth of the funnel. If, yes, we, we, we hear from God through our feelings, through you know, our emotions, through you know, visions, uh, dreams, prayer, but every time we hear from them on anything from Scripture, it goes through the funnel, and it has to go through the opening. What does Scripture say about it? Does it conform with Scripture? Because if it doesn't, then it's not from God. So Scripture is the number one way. Feelings, absolutely, God can work through feelings. I mean, that, feelings are a blessing. Our emotions are a blessing. When the Bible talks about heart, it's really talking about our emotions and what we're connected to. Well, that's wonderful. It's part of our humanity. But, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? We've all felt like we've needed to do something. And after we do it, we go, oh, that was a huge mistake. But it felt right. So the heart can deceive us. And so again, when we feel things, what does God's word say about it? Run it through the sieve of scripture and you will help discern where that is coming from. Second is dreams and visions. Acts 2.17, and it shall be in the last days. God says, I will pour forth 
of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Okay, it's, it opens the door that the Holy Spirit is still working through people. Yet in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So absolutely, God can give you a dream and vision, and that's, that's wonderful. And if it's drawing you closer to God, just meditate on that. Pray about that. Bring it back here. And it will complete how God is trying to speak to you. But it always goes through here. And the last way really is other Christ followers. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's, that's all of us. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is such a power in a multitude of counselors, as God says. So absolutely, we can use all of those ways, but everything goes through Scripture, and in our time of prayer, it's the same thing. Where God wants us to have a relationship with Him. This isn't a uh, uh, a, a surgery when you have certain steps you have to do. God says, this is how I'm going to work through your life. So let him. It's a powerful way. To me, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I, I had a vision about you, or uh, someone said, uh, you know, I think God spoke to me about you, I, I'd, I'd never ignore it. I said, let me pray about it. Let me see if I can get it confirmed somehow. Because if I go to Scripture, or if someone else comes up and says the same thing that doesn't even know this person, I'm really listening. <laughs> but I, I never discount it. But I simply want to take it before God and see, I want Him to speak to me about it. Oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Settled. <laughs> Settled. This question actually just came in yesterday, on the, on, and I emailed the guy, it was another email. If we can get it in, we will, so I think we have time. If we are forgiven our sins, if we are forgiven for our sins and then die, do we still answer for those sins on Judgment Day? Great question. You ever think about that? That, you know, and, and so here's, here's my, first, think of the cross. As we talked about it in Romans, why did Christ die on the cross? Come on, we've been in Romans for seven months. Help me out here. Why did Christ die on the cross? To pay for our sins. So if he paid for them, I don't believe they're going to be thrown back at me on that day. So that, that, that's kind of my, my logic on the cross. But listen to this verse from Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about, or God's talking to Israel. He says, I, I am he, Yahweh's talking, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He talks about, in the Old Testament, the imagery, I separate your sins as far as the east, east is from west. Let me get this right, that's east. East is from west, that's a straight line. That's how far I separate your sins. Obviously, repentance is required 
you know, in that context. He talks about in the Old Testament that God drops your sins into the sea and remembers them no more. So, so I, don't, I don't believe that God, God, so remembers them no more I think is more of a, 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 a metaphorical term that God will never bring them up again. If God knows everything, if he's omniscient, then he certainly knows your past, good and bad. But he never brings them up again to you because they've been forgiven. It's, a, it's an incredible truth. So I want you to quote this verse with me. You say, you, I'll start it, you help me out. For if we confess, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God does. So, so I believe my sins have been paid for. They will not be thrown back in my face on judgment day. But let's talk about that judgment day for a moment. Then what is it? What is judgment day? By the way, Hebrews 10.18, if you want to look that up, confirms the idea that God doesn't remember your sins. But as children of God, there's an accountability coming for what God has called us to be and do. This is very important. This isn't about condemning you. This isn't about throwing your sins back in your face. But God has made us his children. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us a commission to serve one another, love one another, love in action. And there's a day of reckoning coming. And so I, I just don't want to say, hey, do what you want, ask forgiveness, then you're okay. This is, no, you've been changed. You've been made like Jesus Christ. You've been born again. You're a new creation. And with that comes the power of the Spirit in your life to live a life that pleases God. So listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians as he talks about dying and going to be with the Lord. Whether he dies or stays here, he's, he's struggling with it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So he says, so whether we are at home, that says in this body, or away, dead with the Lord, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. So that's a sobering thought. So how do we keep in balance that my sins have been paid for and forgiven and God will never throw them in my face again? It's not like if, if you're in a relationship today, a brother and sister or friends or, or in marriage, often when you, you make a mistake and you say, honey, I'm sorry, I, I, I blew that. Would you forgive me? And she forgives you or he forgives you. And the next time you do it, say, so you did it again. Last time you did this. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I see husbands and wives looking at each other. Um, that's part of human nature, fallen human nature. I don't think God does that to us. But there's an accountability coming on this day for the deeds we did in this body. So that verse, I always grab that to kind of sober me up, to remember he's called me to, a, he's commissioned me to serve you. And you to serve me and vice versa, you know, back and forth. And he's going to say, hey, how'd you do on that day? Think of the parable of the talents. The last one I'll read, and this is, again, this is, um, this one is like that, that um, um, Hebrews passage on impossible to renew to repentance. One of those passages that, that is in scripture, we have to deal with it, but haven't got it fully figured out yet. So listen to 1 John 2.28. Now, little children, abide in him, which is one of John's favorite terms, abide in me. 
in the Gospel of John and in 1 John. Abide in him so that when he appears, the second coming, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So here he's talking about little children, Christians, who have forgotten who they were. And when Christ returns, they shrink away in shame. It doesn't say they're not saved. It doesn't say they're condemned. But there's this point where we say, you know what, God, you, you called me to be like you, and I haven't been doing it. Oh, this is a bad day to come back. Don't come back today. So that, that verse is one of those ones that I am, it's always in the back of my mind. Live the life God's called me to live. Live the life God's equipped me to live. Seek what pleases him. And as always, throw myself upon his mercy and grace. Because he'll never fail us in that. But let's not be flippant in this thing called sin. Christ was tortured and died because of our sin. Let's not act like it doesn't matter what we do each day. Okay? Okay. I feel like I'm being the bummer one here today. Why don't you end this up here with some, some really good news? Well, this last question to me is the most important of all of them. How do you know God loves you, and what if you don't feel like he does? God loves us because he says he loves us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. What more are we looking for? He has done his part. Then he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to be with you. And he says, anyone that comes to me, I am not ever going to turn away. These are all promises of God for us. When we question God's love, we're, we're really just questioning our own actions and what we feel about God. So the fact of the matter is God absolutely loves us, and we need to remind ourselves of that constantly, particularly when we mess up. Because then our first thought is, well, God can't love me now. Yes, he can. Hmm. He does, and he did, and he always will. That's the heart of God. And the other part of that is God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Rather, they would turn and live. Think of the most wicked person in this world, and God takes no pleasure in his death. He would rather have him turn and live. That's the heart of our God. We look at God as the, as the giant punisher, the strict father that you can't live up to, and we're missing the whole point of the nature of God. God loves us. He wants the best for us, and the best is us loving him back. So the whole thing about heaven and hell is, is hell is it's just not just God sending people out of his anger. He's going, I, I wish you would have chosen me. Now you get to live without me for eternity. That's the God we have because he's a just God. He's a loving God. And yes, our feelings go up and down, but, but, but I want you to remember something. Your position in Christ never changes. Your condition does. You fail. You sin. We all do. That changes our condition. We start questioning things. 
but never question your position. That hasn't changed. You're still in the family of God. I can't tell you how many people I've, I've counseled and they come in and they're, they're, they will say, God can't love me because I did this. And really, what you're saying, think about it. What you're saying, if you believe that, you're saying God's a liar. That, that Christ dying on the cross is not big enough for my sin. Well, he is. He's bigger than any sin we can commit. And that should give us confidence and comfort before anything. The love of God is steady. It never changes. Yes, we can be disciplined. Yes, we can feel out of his love, but we're not. It's simply that we've got ourselves in a, in a position where we have to get on our knees before him and thank him for his constant love in spite of us. You know, the heart just deceives us, and, and Satan loves to condemn us with our own thoughts. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm, I just can't be used by God. Look at all the mistakes. And Satan loves to take those and say, see, you're unlovable. Other people, how we're treated. But it's all a lie. And that's more important than anything else is reminding ourselves that God, even though I don't feel like you love me, I know you do. I've had many prayers where I'm praying and I say, God, I feel like I'm praying to this wall. But I'm praying because I know you're listening. I don't feel like it, but I'm not going to stop because I know you want me here. And that's a powerful time. In fact, uh, I've, I've got two handouts, and, and I want you to take it and pray over it. And it's assurances in Christ. And you need to, we need to tell ourselves this uh, on a regular basis. You are accepted in Christ. I am the child of Christ. I am a friend of Christ. I've been justified. I'm free from condemnation. I, I've been established, anointed, and sealed in Christ. We need to remind ourselves. Those are all scriptures that God says, this is who you are. This is how I see you. And when you're down... You go through those. No matter how you feel, you go through those and you say, thank you for that promise, God. Because that's the power of the love of our God to us. And it would change our lives if we would go to him sooner rather than wallow in our own sin, in our own problems, our loneliness, our depression, and go to him even when we don't feel like it, and remind ourselves of this. Changes everything. Changes everything. Cool. So, um, Elena, once your team come up, please stand up with us. In, in light of that, Ron, what I want to do is, is reread the passage we preached about a month ago on Romans 8, and that is on the love of God. So you guys remember this. Paul asks this, Who shall separate us from the love of God who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, 
or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Quoting a passage in the Old Testament that my circumstances seem to imply God's left me. Here's Paul's response. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't let your circumstances determine God's love. Live in your circumstances in light of the fact that he loves you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, take us away, Elena.
much for worshiping with us. I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next time.